Joe Biden tells American companies to follow his vaccine mandate, even though it's unconstitutional. As the price of gas rises at the pump, Biden shuts down another pipeline, and iconoclastic intellectuals open a new university. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. I protect my data with VPN, so should you. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, we'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, pretty monumental news out there. It was recently announced that Social Security benefits are going to increase by almost 6% in January. That's the highest increase in 40 years, which is the government admitting, because they have to, that inflation is spiraling. And yet the left is still attempting to push through trillions in more spending. We got the infrastructure bill. Now we got Build Back Better being rammed through by Biden. Well, if you are worried about the price of the dollar, if you are worried about the level of the dollar, you should be protecting your savings with gold and silver from Birch Gold Group. Now an incentive for you to do so this month when you text Ben to 474747 and purchase precious metals with Birch Gold by December 23rd, you'll get free silver for every $5,000 you invest. And yes, you can convert an eligible IRA or 401k into an IRA backed by precious metals. That qualifies as well. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of happy customers. Text Ben to 474747 for your free no-obligation information kit on holding gold and silver in a tax-sheltered account and to claim your free silver with qualifying purchase by December 23rd. Text Ben to 474747. Protect your savings today. All righty, so Joe Biden's unconstitutional vaccine mandate was held up in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and that is not stopping the White House from attempting to force businesses to perform this vaccine mandate anyway. Now, imagine that Trump had said this. Imagine if there had been some sort of order from Trump and a court had said, don't do it. we got to take a look at this. And Trump had just said, Americans, I want you to ignore the courts and do what I tell you to do right now. How do you think the media would have responded? Would we have gotten a lot of talk about the authoritarian nature of the Trump administration? You betcha. Which we've gotten a lot of talk about the breaking of the constitutional system, the constitutional crisis that was now coming to a head, of course. But when Democrats say that courts no longer matter and you're supposed to just ignore what courts say, then, of course, it's not a problem at all because they are seeking progress. According to CNBC, the White House on Monday said businesses should move forward with President Joe Biden's vaccine and testing requirements for private businesses, despite a federal appeals court ordering a temporary halt to the rules. People should not wait, said White House Deputy Press Secretary Karen Jean-Pierre. They should continue to move forward and make sure they're getting their workplace vaccinated. The U.S. Court of Appeals halted the requirements Saturday pending review, writing the petitions give cause to believe there are grave statutory and constitutional issues with the mandate. And of course, it's not just the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. We here at The Daily Wire, we have filed the lawsuit against the Biden administration in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, along with a bunch of other attorneys general. In its response Monday evening, the Biden administration asked the court to lift the pause, dismissing the states and companies' claims of harm as premature, given that the deadlines for vaccination and testing are not until January. The administration claimed that pausing the requirements would likely cost dozens or even hundreds of lives per day as the virus spreads. Of course, their information on this is really, really scanty because, again, the rule in the United States is if you can get a vaccine, it is now up to you. That really should be the rule in a free country. The Labor and Justice Departments also urged that OSHA acted within its authorities established by Congress. Now, the, the Biden administration, it's so ugly what they're doing here with regard to this vaccine mandate. Instead of playing a game, they said two months ago that it was an emergency. And thus, OSHA was going to promulgate a regulation under emergency temporary standards that was going to be necessary because of the emergency, right? The house was on fire. Two months from now, we're going to bring the fire hose. Then they promulgated the regulation and the regulation doesn't go into effect until January. Now, here's the problem. If you're a business, and you are seeking to comply with the mandate before January because you want to get as many people vaccinated as possible if you wish to avoid the fines, you have to kick that into place 
pending the federal government actually punishing you. But what the Biden administration is saying is that until there's the possibility of us actually finding you until January, you can't sue. So they're saying is the mandates don't kick into place formally until January. But you really need the next couple of months to get ready. This is why the courts of appeals are holding this thing up, because they're saying, well, the punishment doesn't come down until January. What you are requiring of people takes time to implement, which means that effectively speaking, you are forcing them to do things right now so they don't get fined in January. But the Biden administration is trying to end around that specifically by delaying all this. And by the way, delaying it until after the holidays. If it were really so vital, why wouldn't they make this effective inside of two weeks? Why instead are they waiting until after the holidays? And we all know the answer. It's because we already have a massive supply chain crisis. And if you knock out a significant percentage of the workforce, and I mean, even a marginal percentage of the workforce could be significant when you already have supply chain bottlenecks. When you do that, you exacerbate the problem. So the Biden administration wants to have its cake and eat it too. They want to promulgate the regulation. They want to do so without harming the economy. And they want to do so even though it's unconstitutional. And by the way, not done properly under the emergency temporary standards rules. Because normally the way that you promulgate a rule at a regulatory agency is you have to have a comment and review period. You have to have the public give their input on how the regulation should actually be written. And it takes a while to promulgate these regulations. Under emergency temporary standards, places like OSHA just issue a rule, no comment period. But now they're saying that they want to issue the rule, no comment period, have it effective in two months. And that's four months after the original announcement by Biden. This is why courts are holding it up. So it's a really corrupt and stupid little game that they are playing here. And again, the goal here is to force you to do things, even though you have no legal or constitutional obligation to do them. And in the end, politically speaking, what it's really about is Joe Biden and his administration attempting to say to their base, we did all we could, even though it's going to get struck down in the same way that they pushed the CDC eviction moratorium, even though they knew that it was going to get struck down by the Supreme Court almost immediately. They did it so that Biden could tell his progressive base that he had done something. The court order pause came a day after the requirements went into effect starting the countdown for businesses with 100 or more employees to ensure their staff have received the shots required for full vaccination by January 4th. After that date, according to CNBC, unvaccinated workers must submit a negative COVID-19 test weekly to enter the workplace, and all unvaccinated workers must start wearing face masks indoors at their workplaces starting on December 5th. So it's a good shot at this point that it ends up in front of the Supreme Court. I have a feeling the Supreme Court is not going to be particularly friendly toward this regulation. All of which means that that so much of what is going on right now for the Biden administration is about posturing and prolonging the pandemic. They're in a box of their own making. As I've said one million times at this point, this administration came into office pledging that they would end COVID. No administration has the power to end an endemic disease. That does not exist. There's no magic button you can hit that ends COVID. So they've made a promise. They can't keep the promise. If they admit they can't keep the promise, then it looks like they're incompetent. If they continue to push, then they are just being restrictive and terrible. And this does have downstream effects because when you make a promise and you keep saying that we will keep pushing, we will keep pushing, we will ensure that this disease disappears, it causes people to make bad decisions. And that affects the economy. And it affects your life as well. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let us talk about a simple fact. If you're a responsible person, you need life insurance. Let's say that you are an actress and for some reason, you just get roped into some bizarre voyage where you end up on an island picking up an enormous gorilla. It's just a really outsized gorilla. You bring the gorilla back to New York, you put it on display, but this gorilla, for some reason, has fallen in love with you. And the gorilla picks you up, starts climbing a giant building called the Empire State Building. Well, as you ascend into the sky in the paw of this giant hairy mammal, you might be thinking to yourself, man, should have listened to Shapiro and gotten life insurance. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? 
It could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. It could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five star reviews across Trustpilot and Google, and eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week thanks to an award winning policy option swapping the standard medical exam requirement for a simple phone call. Getting started is simple. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need. Compare those personalized quotes. Find your best price. When you're ready to apply, Policy Genius does the rest. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice and quite important to get it right. Okay, so there are some real downstream effects to the Biden administration's desperate clinging to the pandemic. Okay, so for example, a lot of people staying out of the workforce because they're under the odd misimpression that if they keep blaming COVID, then they will keep getting paid. Now, reality is starting to set in. And one of the reasons you saw an uptick in people re-entering the workforce last month is because of the running of federal unemployment benefits. They finally ran last month. Shock of shocks, people started to go back to work. But there are a lot of people who are being very picky about their jobs because they have been convinced, number one, that COVID is extraordinarily deadly at this point in time. When, again, if you are vaccinated, it certainly is not. There are very good therapeutics that are now on the market. That Pfizer therapeutic is going to be out in the next couple of weeks. It's supposed to be a pill that reduces your chances of hospitalization by 90% and death by 100%. If you take it within the first three days after a COVID diagnosis, we are now learning that the Regeneron monoclonal antibody treatment, which was supposedly this cutting edge, ridiculous treatment. Why is Ron DeSantis pushing it? We're now learning that it actually has about 80% effectiveness in preventing even infection about eight months out. That is the new data on Regeneron. So we have very good therapeutics. We have vaccines. This means that if you wish to be scared of COVID, that's because it's your choice to be scared of COVID at this point. There's really no reason for you to be living in fear of COVID when there are good therapeutics available, when the vaccines are available. And yet people have eaten up the Biden administration theory that COVID is still going to kill you if you go outside. And also that the government is going to continue to protect you so long as you believe that COVID is going to kill you. There is a correlation between your level of fear and panic and your level of trust in the government. Because here's the thing. If you are a normal person and you assess your risks at this point and you say, listen, I've done all I can. COVID is not that risky to me, whatever that decision may be. And then you go out and live your life. You're probably not the kind of person who is going to trust the government to fix all of your problems. But the government knows that. Governmental actors know that. The incentive structure for governmental actors is always to promise they can fix all of your problems. And so you end up with serious shortages in the workforce. There's an article in the Washington Post today. It's called Why Millions of Job Seekers Aren't Getting Hired in This Hot Job Market. According to Heather Long and Eli Rosenberg, even as the United States has a near record number of job openings and companies complain they can't find enough workers, some job seekers remain frustrated that they've not been able to get a job despite filling out dozens of applications daily on popular job sites like ZipRecruiter, Indeed, LinkedIn, and Craigslist. Now, you may be asking yourself, wait a second, if there are not enough people who are attempting to get into the workforce to keep up with the jobs, shouldn't everybody attempting to get into the workforce have a job? The answer is no. The reason is because job seekers are apparently now attached to the idea that companies are supposed to do crazy things in order to employ them in the first place. According to the Washington Post, American workers are increasingly seeking higher pay, more flexibility, and remote options as they flex their leverage in the current job market. But many companies are not necessarily being more accommodative, continuing to favor candidates with several years of experience in their industry, more availability to work evening or weekend hours, or a preference for those willing to work in person. So if you read that headline, what it sounds like is that the employers are being intransigent when in reality, employers get to dictate the terms of the work 
so long as there are willing participants in the marketplace who are willing to do what that requires. Right? Jobs are, are a market. It's a market like any else. And when you're an employer shopping for an employee, the employer is the consumer at that point. Not the employee. The employee is not the consumer. The employer is the consumer of the labor. That means they get to shop for what they want. But employees have been convinced by the media that they now get to dictate terms in incredibly stupid ways. According to the Washington Post, while employers have complained for months about the difficulty they face hiring during a labor shortage with more than 10 million job openings for 7.4 million unemployed workers, interviews with job hunting workers revealed a concurrent reality, difficulty finding suitable work as they navigate the pandemic labor market. So how are we defining suitable work at this point? According to Julia Pollack, chief economist at ZipRecruiter, a lot of interest from employers is not spread evenly across the labor pool. There are some people in very high demand. There are some people who get no interest at all. Employers really do value prior experience a lot. Okay, now here's an example of a person who's having a tough time getting a job. You ready? Lavinia Hampton spent years mixing drinks as a bartender at a popular nightclub in downtown San Antonio. But the pandemic has made her rethink her job. Hampton has seen COVID infections hobble and kill some of her friends, making her far less willing to take any risks. A friend's 70-year-old mother, who's like a second mom to Hampton, died last month of COVID after spending three months in the hospital. Another bartender Hampton knows contracted COVID after returning to work ended up in the hospital on a ventilator. Few in Texas wear masks in bars and restaurants. For months, Hampton, 40, has been scouring job sites for work-from-home positions in customer service and other fields, so she won't have to return to bartending in a packed club. I have every right to work in a safe working environment, she said. I want to work from home. I want to keep safe. Okay, that is a person who is keeping herself out of the workforce. She's 40 years old unless she has some serious pre-existing health condition. Once she gets the vaccines, she's good to go. There are therapeutics that are available. And she's specifically saying, "I'm my 70-year-old mom's friend died of COVID, so I, a healthy 40-year-old, cannot go back to doing what apparently I am employable at, bartending, unmasked at a club. That is not logical. Okay, it isn't. But the way the media portray this is that if you go back to work at a bar in Texas, you're going to die. And so people are staying out of the workforce. And the Biden administration is therefore using that sort of panic in order to cram down vaccine mandates that are unconstitutional. According to the Washington Post, there's a growing preference for remote work among job seekers. Some 55% of people on ZipRecruiter reported looking for a job that would allow them to work from home. That's not a shock. Most people would prefer to work from home rather than going into the office. The vast majority said either workplace safety concerns or child or family care needs or driving their preference for remote work. Hampton has not been able to land anything and is getting desperate since her unemployment ended over the summer. With no recent experience in many of the jobs she's applying for, companies are reluctant to give her a chance. She says, it's affected my mental health greatly. I cry all the time. I've never been on unemployment before. Now, maybe the reason that you are on unemployment is because you are making poor application decisions. Where do you have experience? Where can you gain experience? Are you willing to take a starting wage at a company rather than taking what is probably a much higher wage Working at a bar, like, what are you looking for? So again, the idea here is that the employers are bad. And the reason the employers are bad is because COVID is endemic. And the reason that COVID is endemic is because the American people won't listen to Joe Biden. That seems to be the logic here. And here's the thing. This sort of panic mentality leads to bad logic about how we end the pandemic. In one second, we'll talk about that because the new push is we're going to force you to vaccinate your children. That is the new push. It's coming from places like San Francisco. Whatever starts in San Francisco goes California-wide. As soon as it goes California-wide, it goes blue statewide. And once it goes blue statewide, it goes federal. We'll get to that in a moment. First, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you probably heard me talk about my Helix Sleep mattress, which is what I rely upon for my precious hours of sleep each night. But now, Helix has gone beyond the bedroom and they've started making sofas. They just launched a new company called Allform. They're making premium customizable sofas and chairs shipped directly to your door. So, 
What makes an all-form sofa really cool? For starters, it's the easiest way you can customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric. It is spill, stain, and scratch resistant. The sofa color, the color of the leg, sofa size and shape, make sure it is perfect for you and your home. They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional, so there is something for everyone. And you can always start small and buy more seats later on if you want your all-form sofa to grow and change with you when you move. All-form sofas are also delivered directly to your door. In the past, if you wanted to order a sofa, you need somebody to come over and build it for you, but not with all-form. All form has simple, quick assembly, no tools necessary. Again, I am not the most technically apt person. I'm the guy who builds the the weird shelf you get from Ikea and leaves out the pegs because it's actually like super complicated. Not so with all form. I have an all form sofa. I picked out the three seat sofa with chaise in the sand color with espresso legs. It is so comfortable. And if getting a sofa without trying it in store sounds risky, don't worry. You get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. If you don't love it, They'll pick it up for free, give you a full refund. They've got a forever warranty, literally for all time. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash Ben. So find your perfect sofa today. Check out allform.com slash Ben to get started. Okay, so the panic mentality, the belief that government can solve all problems in life is now leading to particular stupidity with regard to the treatment of children. So for this entire pandemic, we had lies about how kids needed to be out of school or if they were in school, they needed to be masked. And all of it was based on scanty data at best. When you're talking about young kids, it was based on no data at all. Now the new push is you must vaccinate your five-year-old. Now I'll be honest with you. I've got a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a one-year-old. I have no plans to vax my kids right away. I'll wait. I will see what the data show. And then maybe I'll vax my kids. But I do not feel a deep and abiding rush a necessity to rush to vaccinate my kids. Why? Because COVID is not wildly dangerous for children across the entire course of the pandemic. For all people in the United States under the age of 18, 10 to 20 healthy kids below the age of 18 have died of COVID the entire pandemic, which is about a year and a half long now. Okay, that is that is not enough of a, of a basis of risk, a baseline risk for me to sit around worrying about my kids and, their, and the risk of, of not only getting COVID, but then getting something seri- getting seriously ill from COVID. And again, the math is a little complex here. So there's a good piece today in the Wall Street Journal by Nicole Safier and Marty McCary, both of whom have been guests on the program. McCary, of course, at Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Safier is an assistant professor at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and Weill Cornell Medical College. They have a piece today about whether you should be vaccinating your five-year-old. And here's what they say. The risk is extremely low either way. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that 42% of U.S. children 5 to 11 had COVID by June 2021, before the Delta wave, a prevalence that is likely greater than 50% today. Of 28 million children in that age range, 94 have died of COVID since the pandemic began. 562 have been hospitalized with COVID infections. And again, the vast majority of those kids had a pretty serious pre-existing condition. Serious complications are so uncommon in this age range that of the 2,186 children in the Pfizer vaccine study, No child in either the vaccine or the placebo group developed severe illness from COVID. 16 of the 663 unvaccinated kids developed COVID infections compared with only three of the 1,305 vaccinated ones, an effectiveness rate of 90.7% against infection. It's safe to assume that vaccinating a healthy child would take his extremely low risk of serious disease and drive it down even lower. There's an important exception, though. If a child has already had COVID, there is no scientific basis for vaccination. Even in the Pfizer report is this line. No cases of COVID-19 were observed in either the vaccine group or in the placebo group in participants with evidence of prior SARS-CoV-2 infection. That is consistent with the largest population-based study on the topic, which found that natural immunity was 27 times as effective as vaccinated immunity in preventing symptomatic COVID. 
Now, again, the CDC has cited less robust studies for the notion that vaccination is better than natural immunity. But the Israeli study is the biggest and still the best study on this particular topic. Say, say McCary and Safier, side effects in the study were significant, but not life-threatening. The overall adverse event rate following vaccination in the Pfizer study was about 11%. Fever occurred in about 6.5% of kids following the second vaccine dose. One case of leg numbness was reported. They don't know if the adverse events were clustered in kids who had circulating antibodies from prior COVID infection. Pfizer did not provide that data. There are no cases of myocarditis, but the sample size was too small to rule out a complication that was found in one out of 7,000 adolescent boys. Okay, the reason that I'm saying this is that the, the baseline notion that is now being pushed by this administration and apparently the entire media is that you must vaccinate your five to 11-year-old. You must. That's the only way to end the pandemic. In the same way that we must force workplaces to force their workers to vaccinate, it's quote unquote, the only way to end the pandemic. Or alternatively, adults get to make their own decisions and children are pretty damn safe in the first place. But when you have made a promise and there is no way for you to keep that promise, you have to find other people to blame. So now you're going to blame the families who will not vaccinate their five-year-olds. Now you're going to blame the workplaces that aren't going to force this on their employees. Now you're going to blame Aaron Rodgers and you're going to blame Joe Rogan and you're going to blame everyone else who doesn't do it the way you want it done. I don't think that's going to be a popular pitch for the Democrats, but they, they keep building boxes and then getting stuck in them. They're like mimes. They're constantly in invisible boxes of their own making, whether it's the box of wokeness where they proclaim to everybody that equity is the only thing that matters. And then they're stuck because it turns out that equity, meaning equal outcome, is impossible to achieve absent tyranny. Or whether they are saying that they can cure COVID if you give Joe Biden, the old doddering fool in the White House, enough power. It turns out they are very bad at solving your problems in the first place, like really, really bad at it over and over and over. It is amazing how everything for the Biden administration is a box of its own making. Let me take a quick example. Okay, so Pete Buttigieg yesterday, the Secretary of Transportation, who earned his job because he loves airports and choo-choo trains. Yesterday, he was asked about racism of the highways. And here's what he had to say. Again, you've made a box for yourself and now you're stuck. I'm still surprised that some people were surprised when I pointed to the fact that uh, if a highway was built for the purpose of dividing a white and a black neighborhood, or if an underpass was constructed such that a bus carrying mostly black and Puerto Rican kids uh, to a beach, or it would have been, uh, in New York was, was designed uh, too low for it to pass by, that that obviously reflects racism that went into those design choices. Okay, so that was Pete Buttigieg suggesting that your highways are racist. They keep creating these boxes and then they can't get out of the boxes because there is no way to make the quote-unquote highways unracist. Because again, the highways are not super racist, okay? Like, they're, they're highways. We'll get to the explanation for that in just a second. Because he is referring to a thing. It's just not a thing that he, he actually is being honest about. We'll get to that in a moment. First, let us talk about upgrading the look and feel of your home. So if you've just moved, and a lot of people have just moved this year, you know that the, the look and feel of your home matters a lot. And the, the way the light comes into a room is really a big thing. Like, when we bought our new house, how light entered rooms was like the biggest, it was one of the biggest things on the agenda. If you walk into a dark room, it's just depressing. Well, one of the things that can actually prevent a room from looking great is the crappy old window coverings. You need blinds.com. Make blinds.com your first choice for high-quality window coverings that are perfect for any size window, color, and look you have in mind. There's no guesswork, no hassle with multiple trips to a store or trying to meet up with a contractor or interior designer to consult you who's really just going to try and upsell you. All of the window treatments from blinds.com come at a great price and are easy to install. You can handle the measure and install yourself or have Blinds.com take care of it with local pros. It's easy with Blinds.com. Get any size or color of cellular shades. 
faux wood blinds, or any other style you have in mind. Simply see your vision come to life. And blinds.com, those are the experts you want to go to. They've done over 25 million windows at this point, five times more than all the windows on Manhattan. There's a reason they have 40,000 five-star reviews. Get free samples, free shipping, 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go to blinds.com right now through November 11th. Save up to 45% off everything. That's an amazing deal. That's blinds.com for up to 45% off. When you check out online, don't forget to tell them you heard about blinds.com from the Ben Shapiro Show. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, so the Biden administration keeps creating traps for itself and then getting stuck in the traps. So they say things like equity is the only thing that matters. Equity, 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 equity. And then... All of their public officials are held accountable for this equity talk. So you have Pete Buttigieg, the secretary of transportation, being asked about the racism of the highways and answering by saying that the highways are clearly racist. And then citing a story from Robert Caro's book on Robert Moses, the the power broker from 1974, talking about how Robert Moses, who, who built a lot of the public works in New York, was a vicious racist and how they had built highways that were specifically designed to prevent black and Hispanic people from getting to the beach, it turns out that that's not true, right? So we are curing a problem that actually does not exist, at least in the reference that that he is talking about right here, Pete Buttigieg. Thomas Campanella wrote a piece on this back in 2017 for Bloomberg, pointing out there's little question that Moses held patently bigoted views, but to what extent were those prejudices embedded in his public works? Moses was complex. He gave Harlem a glorious pool and play center, now Jackie Robinson Park, one of the best public works of the New Deal era anywhere in the United States. A crowd of 25,000 attended the opening ceremony in August 1936, the 369th Regiment Band playing When the Music Goes Round and Round before Parks Commissioner Moses was introduced to great applause by Bill Bojangles Robinson. Contrary to a claim in The Power Broker, Moses clearly meant buses to serve his Little Jones Beach in the Rockaways at Jacob Reese Park. While oriented mainly toward motorists, it is, not, it is simply not true that New Yorkers without cars were excluded. The original site plan included bus drop-off zones. Photographs from the era plainly show buses loading and unloading passengers. Bus connections with the BMT and IRT in Brooklyn reported the Brooklyn Eagle when the vast seaside playground opened 80 years ago this summer make the park easily accessible to non-motorists. So, uh, uh, like, he's just citing bad data in pursuit of the idea that we have to cure systemic racism that exists in highways by Manhattan beaches or something. When you create boxes of your own making, it's very difficult to get out of those boxes. This is also true with regard to gas prices. So the Biden administration right now is undercutting its own economic appeal. So Democrat, let's just start with this. Democrats got their asses kicked last week. They just got destroyed. Okay, what happened in Virginia and New Jersey should be a shock to the system of Democrats. Henry Olson has a good piece at the Washington Post about this. He says, to understand the magnitude of last week's electoral earthquake, one must grasp the concept of margin shift. This is the difference between one party's winning margin in one election versus the same margin in the next election. This measures the change in voter attitudes can be used to assess what might happen in other contests if the same shift were to occur. Tuesday was an utter disaster for Democrats by that assessment. Joe Biden won Virginia by 10.1 points in 2020, carried New Jersey by 15.9 points. Although some votes are still being tallied, the margin shift for the GOP was 12.1 points in Virginia and 13.3 points in New Jersey. Moreover, GOP candidates for the legislatures in each state obtained nearly identical shifts. The margin shift was similar or higher in Pennsylvania or New York as well. These margins would shatter Democratic congressional majorities if they recur in next year's midterms. According to Dave Wasserman, he estimates that Republicans would gain between 44 House seats on the New Jersey State Assembly swing and 51 on the Virginia House of Delegates shift. Swings on the scale of New Jersey's gubernatorial race and the Long Island local offices would likely push GOP gains close to the record 63 seats they picked up in the 2010 midterms. 
Any of those results would give the GOP more House seats than at any time since 1928. Republicans would also be favored to gain massively in the Senate. A 10-point margin shift would likely cost Democrats Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, and New Hampshire, and deny them Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. A 12-point shift would even put Colorado in play. New York-style shifts would place Oregon and Washington in play. Now, that may not all materialize, but the bottom line is that Democrats are in serious trouble. And what they should be doing is tacking back to the center. Mark Penn and Andrew Stein were advisors to the Clintons. They have a piece in the New York Times today saying, Bill Clinton saved his presidency. Here's how Biden can too. And they keep pointing out, you guys need to tack to the center. They say, according to our October Harvard Caps Harris poll, only 35% of registered voters approve of the administration's immigration policies. 64% oppose eliminating cash bail. Most reject even popular expansions of entitlements if they're bundled in that Build Back Better initiative. Nearly nine in 10 voters express concern about inflation. 61% of voters blame the Biden administration for the increase in gasoline prices. So what you need to do is stop with all of the nonsense radicalism. But is Joe Biden stopping with any of the nonsense radicalism? Absolutely not. They keep doubling down on stupid. According to Politico today, President Joe Biden's plans to push the country away from fossil fuels and toward clean energy are facing an unexpected hurdle, the price of propane in Escanaba, Michigan. Biden took the stage in Glasgow last week to promise world leaders the U.S. was ready to lead the charge against climate change. But the messy pipeline fights in the U.S. are putting his administration in the crossfire between environmentalists and indigenous groups eager to block fossil fuel projects and Republicans who are ramping up attacks blaming the White House for soaring energy prices. Biden, remember, he quashed Keystone XL. He also greenlit the Nord Stream 2 pipeline on behalf of the Russians. So, you know, Captain Anti-Russia over here was actually significantly more pro-Russia in his policies than than Donald Trump ever was. Now, the administration is studying what to do about a pipeline stretching across Michigan that activists and the state's Democratic governor contend poses a catastrophic pollution risk to the Great Lakes. Word that the Biden administration was quietly studying the potential market impact of killing the Line 5 pipeline, first reported by Politico, set off a firestorm of criticism from Republicans, saying the move would worsen the spike that that has already driven propane prices up 50% from a year ago, just as Michigan residents are about to enter the winter. Propane is stripped out of the line at the small port city of Escanaba to help feed supplies to communities in the state's Upper Peninsula. Environmental groups and, and Gretchen Whitmer are trying to shut the pipeline down in the middle of all of this. And again, this is in the middle of a giant gas price spike. Here's the White House Deputy Press Secretary yesterday acknowledging the Biden administration is considering shutting down the Line 5 pipeline. Is it is it being studied right now? Is the administration studying the impact of shutting down yeah. the Line 5? Yes, so, we are. We are. So that, what's inaccurate? Well, I thought you were saying that we were going to shut it down, but that is that is not inaccurate. Okay, okay. great, 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 great. But I'll, the Army Corps of Engineers is preparing an environmental impact to look through this. So, yeah, they're, they're looking at shutting it down is the short answer there. By the way, the White House spokesperson also cannot name anything that Joe Biden is doing to lower gas prices. So I don't, again, I don't, I don't have anything specific here. The president spoke to this recently, uh, but he's also asked FTC to crack down on illegal pricing, right? That is one thing that he did on gouging in the market and the FTC is responding, but also we're going to continue to monitor the situation and have a number of tools in our arsenal. As I just mentioned, I don't have anything specific. Yeah, they have nothing specific because they've got nothing. They've got nothing. Because they are boxed in. They're boxed in by their own environmental policies. I mean, Joe Biden has openly stated that rising prices of gas are good because they drive down carbon emissions. He has backed policies that do this specifically. And now he's trapped. 
they keep making traps for themselves and then stepping right in the traps. I mean, Jennifer Granholm is the Secretary of Energy, and she's asked about the spiking of gas prices. And she says, well, you know, we are focused here on, on climate change, and climate change legislation is going to create jobs. Yeah, good luck with this, this tack here. And yes, we have a short-term cost issue because the economy is still coming back on. We have a supply that does a demand that does not, that the supply doesn't meet the demand. And that is an issue that we are going through. The president is all over this, both in the short term and in the long term. But the bottom line for when the president says, when he hears climate change, he thinks about jobs. That is critical for our long-term strategy. Uh, No, you guys are in real trouble here because you, again, you have created an expectation that cannot be fulfilled, that you could have your cake and eat it too, that you could do all of this climate change nonsense, and that it wouldn't raise the gas prices or have any impact on the economy or have any impact on the way Americans live. Barack Obama's been pushing this nonsense forever. So Barack Obama head on, headed on over to COP26, right? this climate change boondoggle that's going on over in Glasgow that's going to continue for a couple of months. It's going to host some twenty to 30,000 people because nothing says stopping climate change like a bunch of private jets landing on the tarmac in Glasgow. And, and Barack Obama is saying that Biden's spending plan is going to reduce energy prices. Yeah, good luck with this one. That legislation will devote over half a trillion dollars to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by over a billion metric tons by the end of the decade. At least 10 times more than any legislation previously passed by Congress. Along the way, it will reduce consumer energy costs. It will invest in a clean energy economy. It will create hundreds of thousands of jobs. And it will set the United States on course to meet its new climate targets, achieving a 50 to 52 percent reduction in greenhouse gas emissions below 2005 levels by 2030. Okay, the part that matters there is where he says it's going to reduce energy costs. Explain, explain. But here's the thing. He's completely disconnected. There's an elitist group of people at the top of the Democratic Party that are completely disconnected from the people who they say they represent. And Barack Obama is a perfect example of this. This dude is so disconnected. I mean, besides holding his birthday party in the middle of an area that just had an outbreak with no masks while proclaiming that everybody else on earth needs to wear masks. It's very, very, very important. While he's getting his rich Netflix, his sweet Netflix cash after having basically provided no real private sector services to anyone over the course of his career, but he's been living on, on the public dime as, a, as an elected official for a very long time and gotten super rich after being in the White House on, on this basis. He's just disconnected. He's completely disconnected. And, and for him, he says things like, I can give up a lot of my lifestyle. Yeah, but how about that guy who's living at the margin? How about that family that's living at the margin where the family just needs enough gas in their tank to go to work without breaking their budget? They're not Barack Obama. Barack Obama has several houses. Barack Obama is worth tens of millions of dollars based on the fact that he was once president of the United States. By the way, I do hold a fair bit of resentment for politicians who become rich after being politicians. It seems to me that if you're rich before you're a politician, at least you did something useful, and then you went into politics as public service. If you went into public service so you could leave and become rich, yeah, I kind of resent that. Here is Barack Obama talking about how he, in all of his wisdom and generosity, is happy to give up some of his lifestyle to fight climate change. The little people, you know, they'll have to pay too, but he doesn't really care about that. I can afford to give up a lot of my current lifestyle to benefit the planet because I'll still have a lot left over. A lot of folks don't have that cushion. So that means that any climate plan worth its salt has to take these inequities into account, whether it's through subsidies, 
to, to poor people to ease the transition to clean energy, whether it's technology transfers that help poor countries meet their development goals by leapfrogging dirty fuels, we have to pay attention to those embedded inequities and the politics that surrounds that. Okay, but he's not going to do any of that. That's the point. The standards that he is setting don't do any of that. Are you subsidizing the gas money for, for the local family? Is that one of the things that you're doing? Or are you just jacking up the price of energy and then kind of throwing up your hands and saying you can't do anything about it, which is what the Biden administration is actually doing? In the end, it comes down to the solipsism of an elite class who believe that their way is the only way. And this is why you get Barack Obama waxing poetic about the images of dystopia in his dreams. There are times where I feel discouraged. There are times where the future seems somewhat bleak. There are times where I am doubtful that humanity can get its act together before it's too late. And, and, and images of dystopia start creeping into my dreams. Well, I mean, the, the, human, pe the human people, human race has disappointed Barack Obama. And you will atone. Okay, in just a second, we'll talk about how the Biden administration cannot get out of this box that they've trapped themselves in with regards to economics either. They have to keep doubling down. They have no other choice but to double down. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let's talk about something amazing you can do for yourself and for your family. I'm talking about a special gift for somebody this holiday season at paintyourlife.com. You can have an original painting by a world-class artist done by hand from any photo at an affordable price. If you want to give a truly meaningful gift, you have to try paintyourlife.com. Get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. You can send any picture, yourself, your kids, family, a special place, cherished pet. You can combine photos in one painting. So let's say you want to do a family portrait, but half the family's on one coast, half the family's on another coast. You can send the photos to the painter who will put it all in one portrait for you. With Paint Your Life's compilation portraits, you can bring together family members who've never even had the chance to meet. Choose from a team of world-class artists. Work with them until every detail is perfect. You can get a hand-painted portrait in about three weeks. It's meaningful, personal. It can be cherished forever. We have a portrait of our family. We need to get a new one, actually. We have me and my wife and two of our three kids. We need one with all three of the kids. So we are going to go back to Paint Your Life and get a new one right now. At PaintYourLife.com, there is no risk. If you don't love that final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's correct, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word Ben to 64,000. That's Ben to 64,000. Again, text the word Ben to 64,000. Paint Your Life, celebrate the moments that matter most. All right, in just one second, we'll get to the latest round of spending proposed by the Biden administration. First, last Friday, I asked my Facebook followers if Joe Biden's authoritarian vaccine mandate would result in a loss of their job. The response was kind of shocking. I received over 45,000 comments detailing the way this tyrannical government overreach is affecting everyday American citizens who are being forced to bend the knee. One brave woman wrote that after 12 years of honorably serving our country, she's now out of work. Another woman shared that after 20 years of service, her husband is being kicked out of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. In between these stories were thousands of others, from railroad workers to healthcare professionals to college students. We filed a lawsuit because we need to stop all of this. It needs to be stopped. The Biden administration does not have the constitutional or statutory authority to force employers to fire their employees for not getting vaccinated for COVID-19, especially at a time when everyone can get the vaccine. Vaccines are very protective and so are therapeutics. The lawsuit alleges the Biden administration does not have any of that authority to issue that employer mandate and that the mandate failed to meet the requirements for issuing a rule taking effect immediately without the normal process of considering public comments. And that's a major risk to us because we are not going to comply. We could be charged up to $136,000 per violation. The stakes in the battle are high for us and they are high for you as well. 
So if you're in a position to support our lawsuit, please consider joining us by becoming a Daily Wire member today. Your membership is really helpful, not just because you get all of our great content, but also it helps us do the things that we want to do to help you and to help the country, right? We're a cause-driven company. Your membership basically allows us to go out and do the things that we need to do to fight for freedom in the country. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe, enter code do not comply at checkout. You'll receive 25% off your membership. Now for some good news. We're launching Daily Wire now, which means you'll be able to stream all your favorite Daily Wire shows on Vizio Smartcast. Tune in, watch Candace discuss current events with guests like Donald Trump and Dana White, or catch one of your favorite hosts, you know, me. There's always something interesting to stream. Watch Daily Wire now exclusively on Vizio Watch Free Plus streaming app on channel 162 to access the content you love 24 hours a day, seven days a week, only on Vizio Smartcast. Also, it's been a year since Joe Biden was elected president. It's time to unpack everything the Democrats have screwed up since then and the pushback that we are helping to lead. Tune in tomorrow to catch an all-new episode of Backstage. We'll discuss the turning of the tide. Join me, Jeremy Boring, Michael Moles, Matt Walsh, and Andrew Clavin tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central on DailyWire.com and on our YouTube channel, Daily Wire. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Now, meanwhile, the Democrats, again, they, they have an agenda and that agenda has trapped them because the American people, it turns out, do not like the agenda. They completely misread the temperature. They completely misread the room. So they continue to push Build Back Better, even though there is no taste for Build Back Better. What exactly is the incentive right now for Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, both of whom are super vulnerable, to vote in favor of a Build Back Better plan, which doesn't actually cost two trillion bucks. It costs more like four trillion dollars and is going to drive up the deficit in massive ways to do a bunch of spending that nobody is really demanding at this point. And the moderates are starting to buck. Josh Gottheimer, who's a vulnerable Democrat in New Jersey, he says uh, we need a full analysis of Build Back Better before we take a vote on this thing. I think what's most important for people to understand is the, the responsible thing to do when you get a piece of legislation like this is to do a full analysis and to understand uh, the impact on your district and the families in your district. And that's, that's what I'm looking at, to make sure that when we vote for this uh, and, and give the country this win, that we deliver the way we should deliver. And so there's so much in there that matters for my district, you know, from reinstating salt and lowering taxes, as I said, to child care, to pre-K. So we want to get this done. By the way, how high are the tax rates going to be if this bill passes? In some of the blue states, the, the tax rates are going to be well upwards. The top tax bracket would be well upwards of 60% in the top tax bracket. Okay, this is an insane bill. It is filled with crap. Nobody is actually interested in passing it. If you're a moderate and you want to pass it, it's because you're insane. <laughs> like you, you really have no data whatsoever to suggest that the American people are going to resonate to you passing this massive spending bill. Mitch McConnell is correct when he says that the Democrats have already produced inflation and now they're pledging to do more. What they've done already is produce rampant inflation. I mean, I want to ask for a show of hands of how many of you have been to the grocery store lately and noticed what's going on here. The price of everything is going through the roof. The American people basically said last Tuesday, stop. Enough is enough. Okay, but they're not stopping. At the same time, they can't push it through because they just do not have the, the crowd to do it. According to Politico, Democrats are about to run into another buzzsaw here. They say, quote, the Senate's year-end to-do list is going to be a train wreck. As Mark Warner considers the Senate work left undone as the holiday season dawns, he's weighing a couple of potential ugly scenarios. Having only other senators to kiss on New Year's Eve, the Virginia Democrat deadpans about the upcoming December pileup, the only thing that might be worse would be opening each other's stockings on Christmas Eve. The Senate is only scheduled to be in three weeks for the rest of 2021 with a recess start to set, set to start December 10th. 
There's almost no chance that schedule holds at this point. The Democratic majority is facing a to-do list more daunting than a Black Friday sales rush. Congress has to fund the government past December 3rd, pass a massive defense policy bill, finish out a $1.75 trillion party-line social spending bill, and potentially maneuver around U.S. credit default. Each of those four bills could take several days of Senate floor time, not to mention the myriad negotiations still left to hash out Biden's GOP-free domestic agenda with Senator Joe Manchin, who wants to slow things down. It's going to be a train wreck, says Senator John Thune, Republican of South Dakota, the minority whip. Now, again, remember, the biggest thing that is on the calendar that is a problem for the Democrats is that come early December, we hit the debt ceiling again. So you'll remember that about a month ago, there was this big talk about how Republicans were going to not vote in favor of increasing the debt ceiling, and Democrats were trying to blame Republicans for not increasing the debt ceiling, even though they have the singular power to do so by themselves. And McConnell said, you know what? I'll give you guys a chance. I'll give you guys a chance. We'll push it off for a couple of months. Then it's up to you. That gives you a couple of months to jabber with each other about build back better and see if you can do it without going to reconciliation. And if you have to use reconciliation, then you're going to have to use reconciliation. You're going to have to fire that bullet. Now, the reason Democrats don't want to do reconciliation with regard to the debt ceiling increase is because when you do reconciliation for a debt ceiling increase, apparently this allows what's called a voterama, where Republicans bring up a lot of unpopular bills and force Democrats to vote in favor of them or bring up a lot of popular bills and force Democrats to vote against them. And Democrats don't want to be on record doing any of that. But if Democrats run up against the debt ceiling, it's going to be very difficult for them to make the case that it's Republicans' fault this time. Because McConnell literally said to them, we're happy to give you this leeway, but come December 3rd, it's on you again. Prior to leaving for this week's recess, senators acknowledged it's possible they have to consider a defense policy bill before a social spending bill, given some of the outstanding hiccups they face in fighting for Biden's agenda. Not just that, the debt ceiling is a disaster area. Democrats are not even talking yet about how they'll address the debt ceiling. I don't know why they're not. It's November 9th. They've got like three weeks to get this done. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is insisting Democrats will need to raise the debt ceiling along party lines this time after he has sent it to a short-term patch. That means using the so-called reconciliation process to evade a GOP filibuster. But Schumer is saying that he's now going to beg the Republicans again. He's saying that he's going to... Okay, if McConnell caves on that, then McConnell should be in real political trouble. He should not cave on this. He has said already that it's Democrats' problem. He already gave them the leeway. If Democrats want to avoid this, they can do it. And if they want to default on the debt, then that's their problem at this point. The Treasury Department says it can cover the country's balance sheet through at least December 3rd, the same day the government runs out of funding. But the Bipartisan Policy Center, which forecasts the debt limits brink, predicts the date could instead range from mid-December to mid-February, giving lawmakers a little more time if they have to hit that emergency. But... Democrats are, um, Democrats are, they know that the squeeze is coming. Okay, so it's going to be a rough few weeks here for Democrats. They do not have the ability to press this thing through. And as I say, Republicans should be held accountable. They shouldn't have given Biden his infrastructure plan. It's ridiculous that they gave him this. By the way, it is such a lie that America requires trillions of dollars in federal infrastructure spending. It's so ridiculous. And by the best available estimates, the vast majority of hard infrastructure, like highways and bridges, all that stuff, is basically owned by the states. The amount of federal funding necessary to do that stuff is not even close to $1.2 trillion. You do understand that on a state, federal, and local level, the United States does spend hundreds of billions of dollars, like $300 billion every year on upkeep for highways and streets and bridges. The notion that all of our bridges and highways are crumbling is ridiculous. Most federal infrastructure at this point is things like dams and levees. that, That is not the sort of stuff that the federal government needs to be spending $1.2 trillion on. The Republicans went for it anyway. Mitch McConnell, he gets to compromise once on the infrastructure bill. He does not get to compromise on the debt ceiling at this point. 
Right? McConnell yesterday, for example, was praising the, the bipartisan infrastructure plan. Um, I mean, honestly, like this should not have been pushed by Republicans. Giving Biden this victory was a big mistake. I was delighted that the House finally found a way to pass the infrastructure bill last week. Uh, the president, I'm, if he hadn't signed it yet, I'm pretty sure will soon be signing it. And this will be uh, the first time I've come up here in a quarter of a century when I thought maybe there was a way forward on the Brent Spence Bridge. <laughs> okay, once again, one of the big problems with Congress, it always comes down to, can I get pork for my hometown? So Mitch McConnell is talking about the pork for his home state. Yeah, that is not the way that, that Congress was originally designed. To... Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull & Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull & Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull & Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull & Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull & Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping, returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull & Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull & Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code BEN at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code BEN. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. Run. Okay, meanwhile, I do want to bring you a piece of news that I think is really worthwhile and good. So a bunch of people who I am personally friendly with have decided that they are going to launch a new university. I think this is great. To understand why, you have to understand that right now, universities are largely a scam. Unless you're in an engineering program, unless you're in science, technology, engineering, and math, universities are basically a scam. According to a piece by Preston Cooper in the Wall Street Journal, college is expensive, but worth it. Or is it? College graduates generally make more money than those without a degree. But a closer look reveals that for many, the benefit is not spread equally, and a significant minority of students are worse off for having gone to college. In a report for the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity, I calculated the return on investment for nearly 30,000 different bachelor's degree programs. I estimated the median lifetime earnings for graduates of each program based on education department and census data, subtracted tuition costs and wages missed while enrolled. I then compared that number with a scenario in which those students didn't attend college, using the earnings of high school graduates as a baseline, and then adjusting for demographics, cognitive ability, and family background. As a result, I was able to compare the net boost in lifetime earnings students got from each college degree. The results show that 28% of college degrees, so almost a third, weighted by enrollment, do not have a net positive return. More than a quarter of students are in programs that are actually a net loss for them. Those students often obsess over where they get in. Majors have the most sway over future earnings, right? I've talked about this at length. Whenever people say that there is a, a racial differential in college graduates and earnings, you have to adjust for the majors. Black students tend not to engineer, not to major in engineering as much as Asian students, for example. So you're going to get a wide variance in terms of earning potential. Somebody with an education degree does not earn the same as somebody with an engineering degree. Programs in engineering, computer science, economics, and nursing all yield a high return often increasing their students' net lifetime earnings by half a million dollars or more. But a majority of programs in art, music, philosophy, and psychology leave their average students financially worse off. So if you were given the financial choice between going to a college and majoring in philosophy and not going to the college and getting a job, 
you're better off in all likelihood not going to college. A majority of those programs leave average students financially worse off. Some students defy averages, of course. There are some music majors who will get rich and some engineers who will fail. But that is not the average. One of the nation's highest return programs is the computer science major at Harvard. That degree has an expected value of more than $3 million. But attending the nation's most elite school is no guarantee of financial security. Harvard's ethnic and gender studies program leaves its students worse off by about $47,000 on average, according to these estimates. So if you majored in lesbian dance theory at Harvard, you actually lose money because who the hell wants to hire a lesbian dance theory major from Harvard? Besides major, another important factor for negative return is low completion rates. If a student graduates in four years, the increase in earnings is usually enough to justify the costs of college. But if you take five or six years to graduate, then the cost of tuition and time spent out of the labor force start to add up. If you fail to graduate at all, you're stuck with most of the cost of college, but few of the benefits. And by the way, there's a huge dropout rate at America's universities. So if you look at um, the full cost of education, so not just the education, but also all of the other costs, like the, the subsidies that, that colleges pay for student education, the share of bachelor's degrees programs with negative returns is all the way up to 37%. So almost four in 10 bachelor's degrees are less worth are worth less than the money spent on the degree. Okay, so what does this mean? Well, it means that we need to radically change how education is done in the United States. It means that the, the promise of university is basically a lie for a huge number of people. I've been talking about this for a long time. And I'm speaking as a graduate of some prestigious universities at UCLA and Harvard Law School. And as I've said, Harvard Law School is worth the money because you finish up and now you're a lawyer from Harvard. And that means you're going to make a lot of money. A poli-sci degree from, from UCLA, maybe it's worth the money and maybe it's not. That one is a lot more dicey. And there's a case to be made that what we really should do is move toward a system where you go directly from high school into an apprenticeship program if you want to be a lawyer, for example. Because what you actually pick up in a poli-sci program at UCLA has almost nothing to do with what you're learning in law school, at least in the first year. There's also a good case to be made that law school should be two years rather than three. Okay, but credentialing has become the thing. Credentialing is a big thing in American life. And the reason for that is we refuse to look simple facts in the face. Okay, those facts include the fact that some people are smarter and work harder than others. And so instead of just recognizing that, which you can tell right out of high school, we have decided to create an ersatz method for evaluating whether people are, are likely to be good employees or not. So if you give me somebody, like anybody, if you give me their SAT scores and their GPA from high school, I can say with a high level of certainty whether this person will be a good employee or not. I don't need that person to go to a four-year college to tell me that. And I especially don't need them to go waste $200,000 at a four-year college majoring in English in order to tell me whether they will be a good employee or not. In fact, I would rather hire the kid directly out of high school if they have a good SAT score and a good GPA and good values and have them go to a college where they're really just being indoctrinated into the language of wokeness. And so this is why, it's one of the reasons why I'm excited about the launching of this new university. It's called University of Austin. Pano Catalos is the new head of University of Austin. He was the president of St. John's College in Annapolis. And it's got a lot of people who I think are just wonderful. They're launching this college. The four-year degree is not available just yet. They're going to start with some unaccredited programs. Then they're going to roll out the accredited programs in the near future. It's exciting stuff because this needs to happen. Competition is the way forward here. Pano Canelos writes, so much is broken in America, but higher education might be the most fractured institution of all. There's a gaping chasm between the promise and the reality of higher education. Yale's motto is lux et veritas, light and truth. Harvard proclaims it veritas. Young men and women of Stanford are told, die Luft, die Freiheit wet, the wind of freedom blows. These are soaring words. 
But in these top schools and in so many others, can we actually claim that the pursuit of truth remains the highest virtue? Do we honestly believe that the crucial means to that end, freedom of inquiry and civil discourse, will prevail when a liberalism has become a pervasive feature of campus life? The numbers tell the story as well as any anecdote you've read in the headlines or heard within your own circles. Nearly a quarter of American academics in the social sciences or humanities endorse ousting a colleague for having the wrong opinion about hot-button issues like immigration or gender differences. Over a third of conservative academics and PhD students say they had been threatened with disciplinary actions for their views. Four out of five American PhD students are willing to discriminate against right-leaning scholars, according to a report by the Center for the Study of Partisanship and Ideology. The picture among undergrads is even bleaker. In Heterodox Academy's 2020 Campus Expression Survey, 62% of sampled college students agreed that the climate on their campus prevented students from saying things they believe. Nearly 70% of students favor reporting professors if the professor says something students find offensive, according to a Chali Institute for Global Innovation Survey. The Foundation for Individual Rights in Education reports at least 491 disinvitation campaigns since 2000, roughly half successful. The reality is that many universities, writes Pano Canalis, the, the new head of University of Austin. He says the reality is that many universities no longer have an incentive to create an environment where intellectual dissent is protected and fashionable opinions scrutinized. The priority of most other institutions is simply to avoid financial collapse. They're in a desperate contest to attract a dwindling number of students who are less and less capable of paying skyrocketing tuition. Over the last three decades, the cost of a degree from a four-year private college has nearly doubled. The cost of a degree from a public university has nearly tripled. The nation's students owe $1.7 trillion in loans. And by the way, nearly 40% of people who are pursuing a college degree don't get one. Okay, so to go back to the stats, that means that 40% of people who pursue a college degree are out. Of the remaining 60%, about one-third are going to spend more money on the college degree than the degree is worth. So that means college is a really, really bad bargain at this point. So, say the folks at University of Austin, as I write this, I'm sitting in my new office in balmy Austin, Texas, where I moved three months ago from my previous post as president of St. John's College in Annapolis. I'm not alone. Our project began with a small gathering of those concerned about the state of higher education. Niall Ferguson, Barry Weiss, Heather Hying, Joe Lonsdale, Arthur Brooks, and I, and we have since been joined by many others, including the brave professors mentioned above, Kathleen Stock, Dorian Abbott, Peter Bogosian. We count among our numbers university presidents, Robert Zimmer, Larry Summers, John Nunez, Gordon G, leading academics, Stephen Pinker, Deirdre McCloskey, Leon Cass, Jonathan Haidt, Glenn Lowry, Joshua Katz, Vicki Sullivan, Jeffrey Stone, Bill McClay, and Tyler Cowan. We're joined by journalists and public intellectuals like Lex Friedman, Andrew Sullivan, Rob Henderson, Caitlin Flanagan, David Mamet, Ayan Hersey, Ali Sarbamari, Stacey Hawk, Jonathan Rauch, and Nadine Strassen. Our backgrounds and experiences are diverse. Our political views differ. What unites us is a common dismay at the state of modern academia and a recognition we can no longer wait for the cavalry. And so we must be the cavalry. So this is really exciting stuff. It's really great. So their plan is that they are going to be moving through the next few years, beginning to launch degree programs just a couple of years from now. And honestly, like all support to them. It's great. They're hoping by 2022 to launch a graduate program in entrepreneurship and leadership, by 2023 to launch graduate programs in politics and applied history and in education and public service, and then by 2024, just three years from now, to establish a full undergraduate college, which is fantastic. It's fantastic. And so I encourage everybody to go check out uaustin.org. That is the, the place where this is located. More of these options for our students, more of these options for our kids. Again, competition is the lifeblood of intellectual development. And uh, I am very excited that, that University of Austin 
is launching. And congrats to all my friends who are involved with that particular effort. Alrighty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content coming up soon as The Matt Wall Show. It airs at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to check it out over at dailywire.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Post producer, Justin Barber. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Matt Wall Show, Senator Josh Hawley provokes mockery and jeers from the media for suggesting that there's an attack on masculinity in our culture. But he's completely correct, of course. In fact, the situation is even worse than he describes. Masculinity is in its death throes in the West. And if masculinity dies, the West will go down with it. We'll talk about why. Also, another day, another prosecution witness in the Kyle Rittenhouse case accidentally destroys the prosecution's case. And a new poll says that 70% of Americans are experiencing anxiety and depression because of climate change. Can that possibly be true? Plus, Snopes does a fact check on the claim that Joe Biden let one rip in front of a member of the royal family. And in our daily cancellation, we'll discuss the Republican Party's embrace of sexual identity politics with the newly christened RNC Pride Coalition. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 